Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from Church Mission Society. I'm Trevor Smith. How can Church Mission Society come alongside your church and how are we playing our part in growing churches around the world? Later, we'll hear from the founder of Partnership for Missional Church, an extraordinary initiative CMS has launched nationally in the UK. But first, we'll hear from Peru and Pakistan, where our people are helping the church grow in discipleship. In Lima, Peru, Anna Sims is part of the Christian Life and Formation team in the Anglican Church there. You'll hear her refer to it by its Spanish initials VCF. The aim is to help everyone in the Peruvian church live out their daily calling to follow Jesus. I believe that as Christians we're all called to live out mission wherever we are. Um, for me, I know that God's given me skills and enthusiasm and passion for people, um, for art, for the arts and um, for relationships with people. So just really enjoy getting alongside people and doing life with them wherever they are. You find yourself now in the, something called the Christian Life and Formation Team? Yes, that's correct. Uh, so that's a fancy way of saying discipleship. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're part of um, the VCF team. At the moment, we're in an initial stage, which has taken about a year to 18 months. So we're doing a big survey. We're visiting all the different churches and communities, doing interviews with clergy, questionnaires with congregation members, and just spending um, a week or however long with doing different weekly activities that the churches have. We're sort of just participating and seeing what's happening in each of our churches. Take us right back to the beginning where did this idea come from how's the need identified um, so the need was initially brought to the bishop who was in charge at the time um, by some members of the youth ministry because they were doing lots of investing in the youth um, in our church and then realised that in some of the churches there were gaps so when the youth grew older there wasn't um, the infrastructure of discipleship in the different congregations and so they spoke to um, the bishop who as well had identified it as one of his areas that needed to be worked on um, in the Peruvian church and so he put together a team so there's 14 of us in the VCF team that includes clergy, bishops and lay um, ministers and lay members um, and then in the core team there's four of us and so we're the ones that are visiting the different churches and just trying to get an idea of what's what's going on in the different churches if there are patterns and where the strengths and weaknesses are um, and where does your art come into all this when we when we when we were trying to share um, about vcf because it is a very long-term project and um, we were really trying to get people on board with the idea and the fact that it will take a while and it is quite intrusive in many ways because we are visiting the different congregations and spending time with them and it, it can feel a bit like we're church inspectors which we're not at all <laughs> um, and so we had lots of um, fun or I had lots of fun um, trying to present that creatively and so we came up with different animations and a logo and just trying to visually show the importance of discipleship in each of our lives and tell me a bit more how you did that what logo did you come up with what what was the visual thing so um the logo is um a cross and it's made up of um six strands which represent the six strands of the discipleship that we're looking at um and each of them is a different color um and the idea is that in the future when we go on to help source training or um lead training then the the colors can be used for the different depending on the different aspects of the strands and the the whole idea behind it is it's about um 
the reinforced Christian life, I guess, is like a woven textile. So if it's if it's woven into these different aspects are woven into your life, then um, you develop and grow as a Christian. And there's a particular family you stay with, I think, um, sometimes that. Uh, You've seen this all kind of working out in practice. Tell, tell me about them. Um, so it's um, a family in Chiclayo in the north on the coast. And we stay with them. And they've just been so generous opening up their homes to us every time we go. And we've now been visiting them. Um, we've started visiting them before I got involved with VCF. But just um, when we started, the mother, Betty, went to church regularly. Um, but her husband wasn't really interested and her kids kind of went along when she took them and just going to visit her repeatedly over a number of years just seeing how um, she's grown in her faith how that's had an impact on her marriage on her husband her husband now goes to church regularly and they're reading the bible at home her eldest daughter is reading the bible during the sunday service and just they've got a real thirst for for god and finding out more about jesus and how that how they can apply that to their home and so in their marriage and the communication and the parenting and it's just been lovely just to watch and just be part of their family and um food is really central in improving culture and they've got a little yard outside which is full of um ducks and guinea pigs and uh, chickens and things and so whenever we now stay we there's always a couple of guinea pigs slaughtered for our lunch so looking to the future you said it's a long-term program mm-hmm. so did the experiences like you know, meeting that family really give you a hopeful outlook for you know how this program can develop and go on in the future yes it does and um, because it's all about relationships and i think our desire is just to see each person grow, ourselves included as members of the team, um, into the potential and fulfilling what God has got for each of us. And it is a lifelong process, it is a journey, and any way that we can help facilitate that growth or encourage that desire for growth is a real privilege to be part of. Anna Sims in Peru. Please do pray for good fruit from that ongoing project. Now to Pakistan, where for 30 years Frida has been working. She helps prepare materials to help Pakistani Christians grow in their faith and be more confident in their identity. Well, I'd like to ask you just a little bit um, about the work you're doing, mainly with the Open Theological Seminary. My main work is um, preparing course materials for theological education by extension, Tell us quickly how yes. how this happens. Um, it's an extension studies uh, program, which uh, is mainly uh, teaching uh, lay people in the church, so they don't have to go to a residential seminary. They can study at home. They have a workbook that they will study through over a period of, of say, three months. Then once a week, meet together with a tutor and with other students to discuss their learning and to discuss how it applies in their everyday life, in their situation. Our adult program starts from age 18, but we also have a new program for teenagers. So students, high school students from age 11 up to 17 are also studying courses that are specifically written for the teenage age group. Yeah, and... There was one of those teenage courses, Me and My Identity, um, I believe is particularly 
popular. What's that about? Yes, that that's um, a very popular course because we we look at the whole issue of Christian identity, who I am in in Christ, uh, from a biblical basis. What's the biblical teaching that we're children of God, and all the privileges that that we have for that. But also as as Pakistani Christians, being very much a minority, uh, maybe two percent of the whole population are Christian, and often the at the poorer end of society, lower socio-economic uh, bracket, and it's very encouraging for them to take pride in their Pakistani Christian identity uh, and to see the uh, contribution that Pakistani Christians have made to the building up of the country, uh, even to the the um, when Pakistan came into being. There were Christians who were very involved in that whole process uh, and in creating the constitution of Pakistan. It was a Christian who was the chief justice at the time. And some of the stories of these people, because largely the religious minorities are written out of the textbooks. So when they're studying, these children are studying in school, Pakistan studies, studying about the history of Pakistan, it's described as though uh, Pakistan is 100% Muslim and the minorities have made no contribution. So they are really quite encouraged to find out exactly how big a contribution Christians have made and so they can take pride in being Pakistani Christians, not just in their Christian identity but as Pakistani Christians. What is day-to-day life like for ordinary Christians? Um, again, it, it depends uh, what area of the country you're in. I would say that still in Lahore, it doesn't have an immediate impact even after this latest incident in Lahore day to day there's really no no real difference change of behavior uh, Sundays there's much more armed guards on the churches around the churches uh, for security and government offices police stations are very highly secured with armed guards and things like that and one is aware of the security threat you go past any school building and there's high walls and razor wire, which is now a government requirement. And so there is an awareness that there is a higher, heightened degree of uh, security, but people still going to, to the parks, to the shops, to, to the public places. And it hasn't affected people's way of life uh, as far as I could see. Now, in Peshawar, in Quetta, where it's been far more constant threats, more frequent, uh, small bomb blasts, I can't answer for them. They will have a much higher degree of um, insecurity because that's much more day-to-day activity. Lahore, as I say, we've had one, one major incident this year, one major incident a year ago. Um, it's not a, a constant threat that's on people's mind. It is, it is an exception to the rule. Um, and so mostly people go on with everyday life uh, as normal. There's probably more risk in crossing the road in Lahore than in getting blown up with a bomb blast. If you were to just try and tell people in Britain what Pakistan is like as a place, as opposed to what uh, we see in the news... Well, it's obviously it's a place I love very much. I've lived there 30 years and I hope to remain there for at least another five. Um, The people are very warm, very friendly. Muslims as well as Christians, very warm, friendly, generous, hospitable, very interested in other people, so very easy to get into conversations, very interested to know what I'm doing, very positive to hear about what I'm doing, even 
to the extent that the term missionary is generally considered a good thing because of the historic service of missionary institutions. Mission hospitals, mission schools have such a terrifically good reputation that everybody respects them and in a sense respects the Christians because of that. Give thanks for this remarkable work and do of course keep in your prayers the future of Pakistan as a country. May it be peaceful and welcoming to all minorities. Finally this month, we meet Pat Kiefert from the USA. He has instigated and developed a three-year spiritual journey for churches with the aim of becoming truly missional congregations. It's called Partnership for Missional Church and Church Mission Society is now rolling it out nationally in the UK. But we should let Pat explain what it's really all about. Partnership for Missional Church is a spiritual journey answering essentially one question, what is God's preferred and promised future for a local church? It's done with a a group of other congregations, somewhere between 10 and 15. What is the need it's meeting? When you first started it, what was the need you were responding to? Most of the congregations that we have met that seem to be able to make good use from the very beginning were congregations that had a sense this isn't working we're we're not reaching people we're not as vital as we could be Uh, we feel as if uh, we're running down or even dying and these congregations said we'd like to try something else and they might have tried some things and it just hasn't worked or uh, they're just thinking maybe we ought to try something So that tended to be the group of congregations who we were listening to and were responding to. What's the most important aspect of Partnership for Missional Church? The spiritual journey, dwelling in God's Word, learning to listen to our community and listen for God and what's going on in that community, uh, discovering the partners especially the most important partner, God, but also other churches. Congregations really learn a lot from one another. In the Partnership for Missional Church, God is the chief agent. God is the chief partner. We begin with the notion that it's God's mission which we get caught up into rather than the church's mission which then we try and ask God to help us with. No, no. God is already profoundly, always has been, always will be profoundly transforming the world into God's preferred future and promised future. In the Partnership for Missional Church, we want to join God in that. We seek to become a part of that powerful love of the world and being faithful to it. One congregation in Leicester Diocese, we just finished a a five-year review of the congregations in that cluster and they had come into the cluster openly stating well they didn't really want to be there but they felt as if the bishop was saying was either you do this or we close you. I often say they had one foot in the grave and the other on the banana peel and they felt as if they were a loving caring community to one another The building in which they worshipped, a major part of the tower, was from uh, 1270. An incredible church garden with 
people buried over 800 years, very powerful, but you couldn't see it in the community, literally. Uh, you could see the top of the church, but otherwise it was right in the middle of this village that had been swallowed up into a larger city, Leicester, and you couldn't see it. After their first year, they chose as their experiment to do youth ministry because like most congregations, they came to the conclusion, well, we can solve all our problems by, by having youth in our church. That gives us a future. Well, they asked for a very large sum of money from their diocese to hire a youth worker. Luckily, the diocese said no. And they went back and looked at the real data and the interviews they were doing in their community and discovered they were wrong. They did not live in a secular village. They lived in a village where over 65% of their neighbors were very active in other religious communities. Uh, as in many places in at least England, the world has come to England. You no, you no longer have to go to the rest of the world. And there they were, over 65% of their neighbors were Muslims or Hindus or Sikhs. It was Buddhists. It was very interesting. This changed their whole notion of what it might mean to be a part of God's mission in that community. Over the next year, they did a series of experiments of hosting and being hosted by those different religious communities. They now uh, are a part of a big festival where they have over 500 people show up for this big festival of different religious communities in which, as they said, for the first time, they felt they could talk about in a positive terms what it meant for them to be Christian in a world that wasn't all Christian. It freed them, actually, uh, to give witness to Jesus. That, to me, is massive success. Uh, it's changed the life of that congregation. The more interesting thing is, is they did all of this while they were in interregnum, while they were between vicars. And they had a very wise interim who sat back and let them struggle to find God's preferred and promised future for them. Pat Kiefert, please do pray for this new initiative and for the churches in Oxford, Durham, Leicester and Sutherland Nottingham Diocese who are already on the Partnership for Missional Church journey. You can learn more at churchmissionsociety.org PMC. Now joining us with a short prayer exercise is Ian Adams, CMS Mission Spirituality Advisor, with another in his series, Praying with the Body, available in the resources section of our new website, churchmissionsociety.org. This time, standing in prayer. This exercise can be both an accompaniment to our words of prayer and a way of praying without words. As you go into prayer today, Speak out what you want to be heard, perhaps a mix of your thanks, your hopes, your yearnings and your confession, and then become silent. When you are ready, move into a standing position, perhaps opening your hands as you do this. There's a long tradition of standing to pray, and it is the traditional prayer position of the Orthodox churches and of the Jewish faith. 
The standing position carries an awareness of the wonder of God's presence. It also conveys a sense of quiet and persistent waiting for God to reveal God's self. And it implies that we are making ourselves ready to act, perhaps to become, in God's good care and surprising imagination, part of the answer to the prayers that we have made. Remain standing in this way, then move into activity with this word prayer. God, you are so close, yet beyond all containing. With countless others around the world and through the ages who pray this way, I stand before you. Help me to seek you always. I wait for you. Help me to be open to your presence. I ready myself. Help me to be an answer to the prayers I make. Ian Adams drawing this month's audio mission to a close. Please join us next time for more Global Voices of God's Mission.